Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, 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 subscribe. I have my high school number one friend here uh, this time. Um, I'm really excited about this. I have the wonderful uh, Debbie Evers here. Hello, Debbie. Hey, Josh. How's it going? Excited to be here today. Good. I'm. I'm. I'm excited to have you. This is a. This is a fun one for me. I was just telling you on off air. I love these ones where I just get to talk to my friends about their lives and their stories. Um, you know, we, we've done a lot of different podcasts, but somebody I've known for as long as I've known you. It's fun to just get your perspective on things that I have a little bit of perspective of, just because I was there. You know, so it'll be fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We've been so, there for a long time. I know. So what? what, We both went to Del Campo, and that's when I met you. But when was it? Your freshman year, sophomore year? When did we become friends? I can't remember the year. I think like my first memory really starting to hang out with you guys. I think was like summer sophomore year. So it was like, yeah, 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 and long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, like you and April and Ali Shada and all those folks, and so. And it's fun to you and Ali both went on to become hairstylists. Yeah, we still do a lot together. Actually, we um, we try and go to a hair show every year together. So we keep in touch that way and we help each other out with like clients and stuff. Like if I can't get someone else in, I'll send them to Ali. So it's nice. We have each other's back. She's a great friend. Uh, well, that's so. awesome. So, well, let's start from the beginning. You, um, how many, where are you in the birth order in your family? Okay, so I am number seven of seven kids. Wow. So, yeah. Yep. Baby of seven. Yep. So you're the one that everybody loves. (laughs) I mean, I think we love all of them, but yeah, I I don't know. I kept kept my mom on her toes. Like she, uh, she definitely said it was easier to take like all six of the other kids out shopping than me because I'd like hide from her and like just play games and pranks, you know. Started young with all that. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, now do you? Um, so, brothers and sisters. How many brothers? How many sisters? Yeah, so there's three brothers and there's four girls. So okay. I have three sisters and three brothers, and it's every other year. And then I ruined it, so it was like girl, girl. So Denise and then Debbie. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Um, and you grew up in Citrus Heights, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. I grew up in Citrus Heights. I still live in that same home. So 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 let me ask you this because uh your your dad was a high school Spanish teacher. Right? Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. did your did your mom stay home or did she work as well? So my mom had a job like working for the Sacramento Bee. Um, but she mostly was like home for us like during the day. But yeah, my dad, my dad was a school teacher, but he also like was a carpet cleaner and he, my dad was always working. He was always trying to help people and do things. So stay at home mom, essentially. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you, you know, I, I know how much, uh, you know, teachers make and seven kids, that's a lot. Um, so Mm -hmm. I got to imagine you know, how, how did you, how did you guys survive? You know, how did you survive on, on that, on a single teacher's salary? You know, it's funny because, um, growing up, I didn't think of us as like not having 
things. My parents did a really good job about making sure our needs were met. And um, we just didn't, I don't know, I had no expected, learn a lot from my parents. They taught me at a young age that I could work for anything that I wanted. And so I actually had been working since I was 13, um, paying for my clothes and everything since I was 13 years old. And so that's, I think that's how we did it. You know, we all just had to hustle. And if we wanted something bad enough, we'd find a way. Um, so that's actually like one of the, the greatest blessings my parents could have given me was to teach me that even if we don't have something, like we can get it by working hard. Nice. Well, that's, that's yeah. awesome. I try to, you know, it's, I don't know if you deal with, I know you have three daughters yourself and um, I've got two and two, two boys and two girls, and I'm trying to hammer that home. And sometimes it just feels like you're just talking to a brick wall. Do you get that same thing? Do you, do you feel that way? Honestly, like I don't, I feel like my kids are like not entitled. I don't know if that makes sense, but they work hard for things. I mean, they'll do a ton of stuff for $5, which I think is great. You know, they, um, they don't have to work as hard as I did for things, definitely. And I hope that they appreciate it. And I think they, so not to say that most kids don't, but, um, I don't know. My kids work really hard and in a different way, I guess. Okay. So, so you're, you're the mom who just loves her kids no matter what. I get it. Okay. So, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> my kids are my favorite people. So they're my uh, besties, my, man. You know, that's so funny. Mine too. Like I, I, this, yeah. I mean, you're, so your, your kids are, uh, Rachel's 15. She just turned 16. Oh, yeah. she just, oh, yeah, she had a birthday last week. Poor Kevin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's sixteen. Dating years, yeah. yeah. Oh man, I can't. I'm so not looking forward to Piper getting to sixteen. Oh, it's gonna be so bad. I think it's weird because I like the opposite. I like am excited for her to date and uh, learn how to have different relationships. And we don't have boys in our family, and so for me, uh, I'm excited for her to realize that boys aren't scary. <laughs> that makes sense. Right. Because we don't she doesn't have a brother. Right. So it's a little bit different for, for us. I'm like, no, you should go out. Like you should hang out with boys. They're they're good for you, right? Yeah. I mean, they can be. Yeah. So so tell anyway. me then. So tell me then, um, and it, maybe you can tell me how your parents taught you about this and, and how you try to instill it in your kids. So do you guys have discussions about what dating should look like at 16? Um I don't think we've ever actually had that discussion because she hasn't been, she hasn't been on a date yet. So mm -hmm. I think like when that time comes, if somebody like wants to ask her out on a date, then we'll have kind of more of the good thing about my daughter, Rachel is, um, and one of the things that I admire about her the most is she has really strong boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see her doing anything that she wouldn't feel comfortable doing or like wouldn't want to do which I applaud, you know, if she's with someone, she'll definitely, she'll have some firm boundaries. So she's well, a strong woman. That's, that's good. No, I, you know, the thing for me, yeah. kind of in a broader sense, when Austin, when Austin became a, a 16, the discussion as he was coming up to it was, I said, listen, here's the deal. You should, you know, you should date as many people as you can. No, don't get exclusive with anybody, you know, just go out and have a lot of fun. 
and you know go on your mission and then when you come back from your mission that's when you can start really getting serious because i you know i i I, my experience was a little different. Like I had somebody I was really interested in a lot. And then I, you know, I dated around a little bit, but I didn't have a ton of relationships. And so, you know, I, I, I think I missed out a little bit being so hung up on a person that, you know, yeah, I remember, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You were there. You saw it. And I was there. Yeah. And I just, but the thing was, was I feel like I really, I, I felt as though I missed out a little bit being so hung up on one person that um, that I didn't get a chance to kind of get a sense of what I did like, what I didn't like, what other people were like. And uh, and then what does he do? He just goes out, he dates a few times, and then he, he hooks up. With, he's got a girlfriend now. And, you know, and she's great. Yeah. Ever. You know, she's she's a lot of fun. She's been to the house a few times. and I've met her parents, and they're great people, too. But. Yeah, he didn't listen. So that's what I'm more, more looking for with you. Is it is it more of a thing like when you what was the policy when you were a kid dating? Um, you know, I was number seven, and so my parents taught me the church standards, right? Um, but to be honest, I didn't really have a curfew. Um I don't know, my parents were pretty lenient with me. And, um, I think luckily I had a good friend, my, you know, my high school bestie, she had really strict parents. It kind of like, if, if she couldn't go out cause she, you know, stayed out too late, then I wouldn't stay out too late. So it's like kind of good. Cause she got grounded. Then I kind of wouldn't go out too much longer either. Um, but no, honestly, like my parents were just like, we trust you. Um, I used to drive this huge van. Do you remember the big old like family wagon TMC van? <laughs> Uh, okay. Sorry, give me a second. Anyway, I my mom had a Honda Civic and I wanted to drive that because I was, you know, a little thinker. And I, I remember trying to convince I shouldn't be allowed to drive the van because it folds out, the back folds out to a queen size bed. I'm like, you shouldn't let your teenage daughter drive this van. And they're like, we trust you. And I was like, damn it. So my parents believed in me a lot and they just, you know, they taught me the standards that let me govern myself. Sometimes that was good. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I was a normal teenage kid, but um, yeah, I think my parents did a pretty good job. I'm not somebody that likes being told what to do. So maybe it was part of their tactic knowing that I'm kind of stubborn. And so like, so I'm yeah. kind of that way as a mom too. Yeah. Well, so. um, your uh, uh tell me if you had this um because i'm getting this right now with my youngest son uh i was pretty strict with my with austin as he was growing up and now like for example screen time like i think when austin was 10 he had like a half an hour a day to play whatever video games he wants and now there's four of them and there's one of me and i'm like <laughs> play whatever you want uh, yeah <laughs> and and so he's looking yeah. at me and he goes he goes you know he goes dad you know i i could have never gotten away with that or whatever and i go well you know i'll pay for your therapy bills you know i just did did you yeah, exactly did you get some of that totally. too? did you get some of the benefit of of your did, did like the older kids kind of get jealous because you had so much more leniency than maybe they did I think that I definitely think they got a little bit jealous. Like, um, 
you know, I was on the dance drill team um, for the high school. And that was something my older sisters really wanted to do. They just assumed it was too expensive because it was like a thousand dollars to do drill team. Um, But hey, you know, I worked hard and helped pay for that. So I was able to do it. Um, And I think that just I, I thought a little bit differently than them. Like I made opportunities for myself. If I didn't have a way, I would find a way. Um, and I think that they looked back and were like, dang, I should have done that, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Well, now, didn't you, didn't your older sister, Denise, wasn't she also on the drill team? No, she was a mascot. Oh, She right. did mascot her senior year. Yeah. Oh, all right. But I did drill team like three years. And so that was, I mean, it was expensive. It was pretty expensive for a high school sport. Yeah. We had to get the uniforms, like the little pep art uniforms and stuff. And they wanted us to change them out every year. So it got mm-hmm. expensive and like competitions and traveling. And, but I just yeah. babysat and yeah. Yeah. My, little, out. my so. little sister did that too. She went to the, um, she was the, on the dance team for, uh, for Del Campo all four years. And man, she was going all over the place all the time. Like they had summer stuff. They were doing like competitions yeah. and they, it was, it was USA nuts. camp. Yeah. Yeah. She had to do that. And then also you guys, the, the thing that was interesting about, about the cheerleaders, the drill team, the dance team, all of them was that your season went football and basketball season. So yeah, you were going two seasons instead of one. So that's, mm-hmm. that's right. Stuff. So um, now, tell me. Got to get our money's worth. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, now, now through all this though, one thing I really enjoyed about you and and your group of friends, and I think why my friends kind of glommed on to to you guys, we were a little more raucous. You know, we were. Yeah, you remember the wrestling and all the other stuff we were doing and all that. And so, but you. Oh yeah. But but you guys were always just so strong, particularly when it came to church. Like you and your friends were were kind of. I feel like me and my friends who will remain will remain nameless <laughs> were kind of. Your friends are my friends, right? Yeah. Right, but but you yeah. guys were kind of pulling us along, you know. Um, and so I never knew that. Uh-huh. So thank you for saying that. That's like, that's really cool. <laughs> well, it's, it's true. I mean, yeah. like, we, I mean, not that we were, we were never, I say those things, I make it a, probably a little more dramatic than it was. Like I, I, we weren't doing anything that anybody knew about that was illegal, but like we were, <laughs> but we were having yeah. we were a little bit more fun than probably our leaders would have preferred. And, uh, but you guys were always like, getting us to go to, you know, Hey, we're going to this dance. Are you coming? You know, we're going to this fireside. Are you coming? And, and it wasn't just you guys. We had a lot of friends that were doing that, but what did you tell me when you're kind of, you always seem to me to have a really strong testimony of the gospel. And when did, where did that come from? And how did, do you remember a specific time when you got your testimony? Okay. So my testimony, um, I'm kind of an odd one because I feel like I've always known that God was there. It's never been a doubt for me. Um, and I remember being eight years old and getting baptized and feeling the spirit really strong in a way it was really hard for me to express because I didn't really know how to feel comfortable with that feeling of 
a piece. It was so overwhelming and so dramatic that I could only describe it kind of like um, somebody had given me a, a thing of cookies and I wanted to share my cookies. I was so happy. And that's, listen, we didn't have a lot of sweets growing up. Okay. My mom was like very healthy. And so when I got cookies, like normally that would be, they're mine. You know, I just wanted to share. It's kind of cheesy, but as an eight-year-old, that's how I felt. And I just remember like just knowing that I wanted to feel that more. Um, going to girls camp growing up and feeling, um, you know, that feeling that you have, well, you've never been to girls camp probably, I'm assuming, but there's a testimony meeting there. And I just remember okay. testimony meeting is so powerful, you know, but, oh, what, were you going to say something? I was going to say I went, I went one time. It was unauthorized. <laughs> <laughs> me and me and uh and a couple of your friends were actually caught up at girls camp one time oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i forgot about that you did actually go to girls camp i forgot you did so awesome yeah that's awesome um yeah but yeah for me josh like honestly um i'm gonna i'm gonna be straight up with you when i was a teenager i got to the point where I wasn't really super comfortable feeling the spirit and feeling the Holy Ghost around me. So I became kind of like a class clown. So when things would get too serious, I'd have to like make, you know, Adam Sandler quotes and like, you know, totally disrupt the class. And I remember um, I had this teacher, I'm going to say her name because she was amazing. Um, Jenny Crosby, she was my young woman's leader. And I remember her just like pulling me aside one day and being like, hey, you know, like I I know you can be better kind of thing. And it just kind of struck me. And I realized like in that moment how much effort she put into the lesson. And it made me look at her differently because she wasn't afraid to call me out and challenge me. And Jenny was a return missionary. I didn't know a lot of women at the time that had served missions. And um, she was just somebody that I have always looked up to and respected and so I always knew like when they'd ask in Sunday school with the boys, who wants to serve a mission? I always wanted to, but I didn't know if it would be an opportunity for me to go or not. But um, my testimony was grounded and cemented um, by serving the Lord on my mission. That was everything for me. That's where, that's where it all, um, that was my foundation. And you know, you served a mission. I, uh, it's, it's Yeah changing experience yeah. it's a life-changing experience mm -hmm. going on a mission is it that was like i can trace everything that's gone on in my life post mission back to the decision to make to go on a mission you know was my life mm -hmm. would have been a thousand percent different if i didn't go you know and so now that's a, that's something that i i did want to talk to you about because you know now nowadays you know uh you know, we're going to sound old here, you know, back in our day, but, but yeah, the good old days. Yeah. yeah Girls but, go. Right. That's what I'm saying. You, that was another thing that I found so interesting about you was that this is going to sound terrible as somebody who served a mission. The sisters tended to, there was like, okay, okay. This is going to, I hate, I hate even saying it, but this is when I was on a mission. I remember. I remember what you said to me before I went. So I, I want to hear what you I want to hear what you remember me saying. I want to hear what Go. you remember me saying. I want to see if it was what I was going to say. 
oh yeah like you're only only crazy girls go on missions and like ugly girls that can't get married so you're like and and no one will want to marry you if you go on a mission i remember you guys saying that to me i was like okay. oh well i guess i won't get married then okay first for of me all, first of all <laughs> that's a little not it that's not exactly what that's true <laughs> okay okay I mean, what did you say that was Maybe it was a combination of your friend group, not just you. That okay. sounds a little bit more like a good friend of mine, but uh, no. I, okay. So okay. here's what I said. I said there were there okay. for every one good sister missionary at my, at least in my mission, there were two that either went because they didn't know what to do because they didn't get married or they had some sort of problem they were running away from. And, and the thing that oh, I, yeah. said, I said was that the one good, the good sister missionary that went for the right reasons could out baptize any two elders. The problem is, is they often got stuck with one of the other missionaries and they just clashed. Like I, as a zone leader, I had to numerous times, like interview sister missionaries in my zones. And there just always seemed to be like one sister that was really struggling and then this one, like if you got two awesome sisters together, I mean, they, they would just baptize a whole area, you know what I mean? And then there'd be nothing left to do the whole area would be taken up, you know, in, in the sky, but, but, you know, it just seemed so rare in my mission. And there were so few of them back then, like now there's a ton of sister missionaries and they're all great. They're all really good, but mm. you, I'm like, we, nobody could deter you. You know, and, and so no. talk, talk to me about the decision. Okay. Um, well, can I also tell you about the people that tried to deter me besides you? You were great. I was just giving you a hard time. Um, Josh, you've always been number one supportive friend. Don't worry. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you and tell you a little bit about how hard it was for me to get out on my mission because I had made the decision and that I wanted to go. And you know me, I'm not super patient. Felt that the Lord needed me soon, like now. And so um, I went and got my paperwork and I started working on it. And usually that takes a while. And I did my paperwork in like a week. I had crazy things happen. Like I'd call the hospital, you know, doctor's appointments. And they said, you know, we can't get you in for like a month. And I just kept calling because that's the kind of that's the kind of person I am, right? I'm good at annoying people to get my way. <laughs> um, and so anyway, I ended up getting last minute cancellations. Uh, my dentist got me in. Everything just like fell into um, my bishop, bless his heart, wasn't really supportive of me going on a mission. I, I can't speak to him if it was because I was female. Um, that's what I assume is the case because he told me I should stay home and get married. Mm. Um, no, hold on real quick. And that on. just wasn't going to fly with me. Hold, hold, yeah. Hold on a second before you go on. So, um, did you, yeah. did you have yeah. somebody that was wait, like kind of, you were, I, I can't remember if at that time you were seeing somebody or not. Did you have a boyfriend at that point? I think you did. Yeah, I had. I was dating, I was dating people up until I left for my mission. So that oh, wasn't. 
I, I know you that were, wasn't really the issue, but no, I no, I know. But what I mean is, the bishop was talking to you. Did you have a specific boyfriend that he was like, oh, but this guy, or was it just like, no, 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 you should stay home and get married in general? No, I felt like it was not about the person; it was about being female. And sorry, this is just part of my story, a pretty part of my story, but. I'll tell you that same bishop is the same one that helped my husband get active in the church. So, you know, I have no hard feelings towards him. I think, you know, at the time that was just more commonplace, but I had a really good friend. Um, I'm going to say names, but that's okay. I had a really good friend named Brian um, who helped me, like supported me through this because it was kind of dramatic. I had, um, I had this moment where I had seen my stake president and I was like, Hey, have you, have you talked to He needs to finish the paperwork. And I didn't know, I, you know, I thought he was sick or something. I'm like, can you see where that that's going? And um, he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, look into it and let you know. Well, I get a call from the secretary. Is that the call clerk clerk of the stake president? And, and he had scheduled an appointment with me. So I had assumed that he'd taken care of it with my bishop. Um, and he's like, yeah, just go get the paperwork and then meet me over at the state president's office. And so I go knock on the door. My friend Brian is with me. Super cool. Brian Dennison. Do you know Brian Dennison? Sounds familiar. He's great. They're with me, like supportive, 100%. Yeah, he was great. He was like, yeah, no, you need to go on a mission. Like, this will be so good for you. So I go knock on my bishop's door. And he doesn't know that I'm there. Like, for that he i it was a, like a miscommunication and so he yells at me it's like awesome and says how dare you go over my head and like go to the state president and it was it was hard you know i ran i actually like i'm a crier so i ran to the bathroom and cried meanwhile brian talks papers and then uh helps me head over to the state president's office it was you know, there's so many people in this life that I wish that I could go back and just be like, hey, you know, I needed you like in that moment. And he's definitely like one of those friends that helped me get out on my mission. And my stake president, too, was amazing. Um, and, you know, my bishop came around. But I think that he just ironically, my dad actually came and talked to him that night because um, I think my dad saw what happened. He was like down the hallway because there was like a ton of people when he yelled at me. Um, but hallway and seeing me get yelled at. And so he went while I was over at the stake president and talked to the bishop and just basically said, Hey, like, I know my daughter, like, you just kind of need to get out of her way. Like she just, she's made the decision to go like, just get out of her way. And so after that, he was a lot more supportive, but, um, yeah, so it wasn't, um, I don't, I don't feel like I had, um, as much support as I would have if I was a male. I'm not a victim here. I'm not saying that, but like getting out on my mission, I feel like I had a lot more to prove generally because I wanted to show them that I was worth their time and their space, you know, being there. So being a missionary was by far the best decision that I've ever made for myself. It was where I grew the most and um, just really like learned how to communicate with Heavenly Father. Um, I can recognize things a lot quicker now uh, when 
when he speaks to me, I know his, I know it's him. And I think that's a gift from serving him, you know? Yeah. So there's so many things to talk about right there, but let me tell you, you know, you and I had, (laughs) we had very similar experiences. Um, We'll start there uh, in getting out on a mission because, you know, I, I, you know, you, you remember Debbie, I I thought I was going to be a professional wrestler. I thought I was just going to go out and tour the world with the WWE, you know? And, uh, and so, and that, that was kind of the plan. That was what I was looking to do. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, I, I changed my mind and decided to, to go and my Bishop was super supportive, but I remember my stake president, um, I sat down with him for the interview and he was like, I don't think you're ready. I don't think you've got everything done. I don't want to see you for two years. I think you're going to come home early. If you leave, I don't want to see you again. Like that type of thing. And I was like really offended. Now for me, when somebody does that to me, I'm like, that just makes me want to do it more. You know, (laughs) I'll show you. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I'm I think we have that in common. Yeah. Yeah. And so Except for I cry. You don't, you probably don't go and run to the bathroom and cry. No, my hurt turns to anger. Yeah. And so, but, uh, but, but the thing is, is what I wanted to ask you was, was there's a lot of people out there. I mean, a lot of our friend group, right. Who, who have used, or I wouldn't want to say used, but have um, fallen victim to an imperfect leader doing something that hurt them and maybe used that. Uh, that was kind of a catalyst to start them down a path where maybe they separated themselves a little bit from the gospel. Uh, perhaps you can talk a little bit about how you kind of square, you know, a bishop that maybe offends you or a leader that offends you, but still keeping your faith. Yeah, that's actually so easy for me, Jock, because um, my faith is not in anyone but Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. And so I learned a long time ago that, um, you know, if I focus on the Savior, the church is how I go to the Savior, right? The church is how I worship the Savior. If I get those two things mixed up, if I'm like, oh, and then it'll help me get to the Savior, then I might fall victim of finding imperfections in the church, finding in the per- imperfections of the people. And really, um, I know I need all the help that I can get because I'm, I'm far from perfect. And so, um, you know, that's where grace kicks in, right? That's where the enabling power of grace and um, the atonement kicks in and it takes up where we lack. And I think that um, my understanding of that over the years has, has uh, reasons, right? There's a lot of reasons why you can leave the church or be offended. Um, and I'm not saying I've never been offended or thought of leaving the church because I'd be lying, but there's so many reasons to stay. And, um, and again, my focus is on Jesus Christ. So this is, this is why it works because it doesn't matter what someone else does. It doesn't matter to me. Um, not that it, I'm not saying it like insensitively because things hurt, right. When people do things, but, it doesn't change my uh, focus on Christ more than it is on the church or the establishment. Mm-hmm. So, so going to that, let me, let me ask you, uh, you, 
you just mentioned something. You said you've, you're not going to pretend like you've never thought about uh, leaving the church. Now, um, I, that, that, that means varying, various things to various people. I've shared on here how I struggled with a f- bit of a, I guess they call them faith journeys now, not faith crises, but, uh, but um, I struggled with my own and chose to stay. Would you elaborate a little bit on maybe a time where you were kind of struggling and, and how did you pull through it? Um, yeah, I don't, like I said before, I've never doubted that Heavenly Father Christ is there for me. That's always been like a no brainer. Um, have I been surrounded by other people in my life that have? Yeah. And so in doing that, I've done a lot of research and, um, I don't know. I feel like I have the ability to, to look at things differently. Um, I feel like Heavenly Father's blessed me with good discernment. Um, I went to the temple and prayed before I read the CES letters. And mm. by the end of that, I had a really strong confirmation of what I believe to be true and how I can continue in the church and, um, and continue my faith as it is, even if those things are partially true or if they are fully true, like, I just have a different perspective on things because of the way how my father speaks to me. Like, um, okay, I'll give you an example. So when I first learned about some of the church history things, um, and I remember hitting my knees and praying about it and trying to understand why um, certain people were called to be prophets when, you know, they did things that I might not agree with. And, um, And I just remember getting off my knees and the thought came to me that Jesus called Judas. And that was like such a cool answer. You know, I knew that that came from Heavenly Father, that Jesus works with imperfect, imperfect people and people do cruddy things. That doesn't mean that they're, that they're not called of God just because they've made choices that um, I don't agree with. And so I try not to put people on a pedestal that um, is unfair. Um, and that's why my focus, like I said, is on jesus christ because he's the only perfect one and so when i hear things like i actually just found out that somebody that i totally respect like one of my heroes you know was doing something super shady he's a public figure but i'm not going to say his name um and and i was like oh yeah i'm not surprised but you better and so for me i hear things all the time about what people do and i've i've seen people overcome some really interesting challenges and um choices that I I wouldn't choose to make, but I can support and love them through them. And, um, and, and it's okay, right? Because we're all doing the best that we can. And we're all trying to be better. And that's what, that's what it's about, right? We're all just trying to be better every day. Yeah. You know, I, I love what you said there. That's, I'm right on point with when it comes to I love that the way you said it was so astute where you said, Jesus called Judas. And that's, that's such an important point. I mean, if you, I've had this conversation with some of my friends who have, you know, decided to leave the church uh, because of something that they read in church history or some leader that offended them or something of that nature. And you just, you got to remember, like, if you've read the Bible, I mean, there are so many shady characters in there that were called as prophets or apostles or did yeah. work 
really terrible things. I mean, that Old Testament is rife with some pretty scary stories. And, uh, um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I mean, uh, in fact, I had Patrick Mason on here not uh, a while back, and he said, he goes, I don't pretend to know why God called certain people to be prophets, but I know that he did. And, um, you know, we're all yeah. he has to work with. And I personally think hearing those imperfections of some of those leaders, that makes me feel like maybe I'm not that far off. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, and it's like I said earlier, like I, I have, I, you know, we're all sinners, right. And the best we can. And I'm not here to judge people. Like I actually had this really cool thing. I'm going to share this right now. Um, I feel like God just talks to me in different ways. And I remember one time um, being like kind of concerned about some people that were making choices that I didn't agree with. And um, I was praying about it and the thought came to me. Um, I just kind of had this like little vision, I guess. It was like a little thing in my brain of two cars driving in two different lanes. And um, the thought came to me that I needed to stay in my lane and that, you know, my lane my commandment, the first great commandment is to love God, right? And to love others. And Heavenly Father and Jesus, their their lane is to judge. And um, I felt like that was such a cool thing that Heavenly Father gave that to me and that um, answered my prayer in that way, because I don't feel like it's my responsibility anymore. I'm like, bro, you do you. And I hope that you'll make a choice and I'll encourage you to do those things. But like my job is to love you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride that lane all the way down. And then I'm going to support you. Um, and hopefully, you know, when, all, um, you know, God's grace will be sufficient for, for all of us. Right. Yeah. But that was just, I don't know. You got to stay in your lane yeah. and, and love people. That's uh, you're very astute sister Evers. Um, so <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's go back to um, the, the decision to go on a mission. Well, actually, before we do that, there was something else I wanted to, talk to you about so you mentioned that yeah. one of the greatest gifts you've got gotten was to is discernment and understanding how to hear uh hear hear the spirit um and i gotta tell you uh -huh. that's something that has actually been a struggle for me at times it, it really it's it's the struggle is more okay so am i really hearing the spirit or is this just my own thoughts and that comes in times when I think for me, it comes in times where I get some sort of a feeling that I think is the spirit, but it's something that doesn't necessarily make logical sense to me. Like, I'm like, what? That doesn't, that came out of nowhere. Why would I do that? How have you been able to develop that discernment yeah. knowing that? Have you ever seen Lego movie? Yes, many times. You ready for this one? <laughs> okay. okay. What is it that Emmett, Emmett, right? What does he do? He clears his mind completely. And then he has that one good idea. I think it was like a, was it a double decker like couch or something? Do you remember that? And he has that one great idea come in his head. Um, when I, when I was a missionary, I had two trainers because they needed, they needed to, to train me. I needed all the help I could get. Um, one of them, we would do companionship prayer and she would just sit there forever. And I was like, girl, are you sleeping? Like, what is happening? Are you okay? And one day I just, I was like, okay, what is this? Why are you doing that? And she just waited until her mind was clear. 
And, um, and then she waited for that one good idea, just like Emmett. And, um, I don't know. I think for me, there's so many times, like I said, I had a lot of practice on my mission, not knowing anything. I know Heavenly Father and I have this, this thing, right? So like for me, I recognize it as not my thought. And so that's why I know it comes from Heavenly Father. Cause it's almost like, oh, that, that kind of thing for me. Like G- Jesus called Judas. I, I like never think about Judas. Sorry, I don't. And so there's just things like that that pop in my head that I'm like, yeah, it's that one good idea. And that brings peace to you. And you know, it's good. That's when you know it's from Heavenly Father. And I don't know, maybe that's one of my spiritual gifts that I have, have that. But um, I just like Heavenly Father. Yeah, I just have this vision of him being like, oh, she needs she needs a lot of help. So we're going to help her out, you know. But I, I have him help me all the time. Like I, I try and include him in my daily just work. I pray before I work and pray about my client's haircuts. You know what I mean? Like he's always with me. And so, um, yeah. I, I can't, I got to say, he's always I, with me. I can't imagine like that is so important because I think we all have our times when we're closer and then farther away from god it's it's not it's peaks and valleys like sometimes we're on spiritual highs and sometimes just spiritual lows but doing things like that like you 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 talk about it like you feel like it's a little silly that you're praying about your your client's haircuts but it's not it's not really because you're supposed to be praying always and so including god in all Mm -hmm. of your in all of your decisions is super important um is that something you also developed on your Mm -hmm. mission Did you did you hear me? I said asked did that Sorry, it cut out. What did you say? Oh, I said did you uh did you also develop that on your mission? Um I think I I think I learned that um I think I learned that the one that um helped me get out on my mission. He I remember him talking about um you don't have to know everything, you just have to know how to communicate with that person that does. That was like a quote from, I believe, Richard G. Scott, something like that. And um, I remember him bringing over a book that talked about um, recognizing promptings of the Holy Ghost and helping me out. And so I think, you know, it was back to that going on a mission thing. Um, that was a big decision for me um, on so many different levels. Um, and so I think that I just created a space where I could spirit. And um, I, I think I would say that that's when I that's when it really started was before my mission, making that decision to go, having the courage to follow through with it, being bold and being brave, all of those things, you know, knowing that I was doing what God wanted me to do. Um, that's where, I, that's where I'd say it started. Yeah. So get on a mission and tell us where you served. Yeah, so I served um, in the Knoxville, Tennessee mission. So uh-huh. amazing. I spent, like, if you've heard of Chattanooga, that's oh, like yeah. where I spent like a year of my mission. I had I had three areas. So I was up um, in, in Clinch River, which is like Oak Ridge. That's kind of a famous part of Tennessee. And then um, down in Saudi Daisy, Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, and, um, and Lookout Mountain, which you might have heard of Lookout Mountain. I only had three areas. So I served for 19 months. I had only three areas. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. I had, I had, uh, I had four areas on my mission. I was out for two years and okay, man, you, you, I, I love, I loved it. Like a lot. I've heard of some guys who went out and they had like 10, you know, they were moving all the time, but I loved being there and really yeah. establishing relationships with the members, you know, and, and getting to know. Yeah, them. I agree. Give us a, a good spiritual experience from your mission. Okay, well, can I just talk about my mission first, and then I'll kind of lead into it? Because yeah. you had mentioned like something earlier that I just want to say. Um, you had mentioned that like some of the sister missionaries at the time were like crazy or or whatever. But um, when I went on my mission before I I left, you know, you get set apart and knew that I would have hardworking companions, and every single one of my companions were stellar, hardworking. Um, I didn't have a lazy, they didn't have a lazy bone in them. I mean, so just to, I wanted to just set that straight that the, the TKM, the Tennessee Knoxville missionaries, um, the sisters were awesome. And it um, doesn't mean that I didn't have challenges, but um, I definitely loved all of my companions and learned so much from all of them. Right. Like there was one girl that I trained that was, like studying g- genetics and I'm like, why am I training you? You should be training me. I don't know any of this stuff. And she's just brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, so personable and so wonderful. But um, if you'd like, I would, I'll tell you a story about um, she and I, um, yeah. that actually is probably my most spiritual experience. Should we go there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. Do you want to dive in? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, okay, so this was this was my last area. This was um, Lookout Mountain, and um, we had been sent to a whole new district. They they basically what they called it whitewash. They tra- transferred all of the missionaries out and put the new ones in. And um, I was lucky to serve with some amazing. I had an amazing district leader um, at the time, and. Um, he was the assistant beforehand and he wanted to he wanted to go back and be a district leader before he finished his mission. And so we got to serve with him. And anyway, just to kind of set it up, um, we're new to the area and I was training, right? So we get there and um, our ward mission leader wouldn't help us because he's like, oh, you know, there was el- there were elders there before. And so he thought like, he wasn't supposed to help the sisters. And so we had an amazing bishop who um, who brought us in and kind of showed us like the family tree of this area. So um, Lookout Mountain, it's people that have lived there for a very long time. And they're amazing people. Like I absolutely adore the people. A lot of them are cousins um, or, you know, related somehow. And, and these people, they also are the ones that like built the building, right? Like these were the people that like sacrificed their own money to build a building in Tennessee. So it was like, they were important people to know, right? I actually have in my journal, like a family tree so I could know like how they're all related. Um, But anyway, so there was one of these kids that, um, that hadn't been baptized and he was interested in learning about the gospel. And so Bihanian, she'd been out, I think it was a little over six weeks. So it had been probably like seven or eight weeks into, into this new area. 
And we were super stoked to go and teach this boy, this teenage boy. And um, just to kind of help you understand how big our area was, we had, we lived in Georgia um, and we covered Lookout Mountain, right? So we had parts of Georgia, we had Tennessee and we had Alabama in this area. Okay. So as a missionary, we were limited on, you know, the money down. So the boy lived towards Alabama. I don't remember if he was still in Tennessee or Alabama, but it was far and it was a mountain and we didn't have bikes. So there's no way we were going to get to go and teach him without having support. Right. We needed some help from the members. And, um, there was this lady, uh, her, her name is Deb and, uh, she was the aunt of this kid. And so she was going to take us to go and, and, um, and teach the boy. So it was, like a random, random, I don't know, Tuesday, we get a call from Deb and she's like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to take you guys anymore. Like you're going to have to find another ride. And we just felt really strongly that we needed to go like super strong. We needed to go see this boy. Then we get a phone call from the mission president. There were two missionaries that weren't getting along sister missionaries, like kind of to prove your point, right? There were, uh, there were emergency transfers. And so president was like, Hey, Sedgwick, that was my baby name. Um, you know, we're going to have her come. We're going to do emergency transfer. Uh, your companion's going to leave. And then, um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll do that tomorrow. So usually what we would have done is been like, okay, we're going to start packing you up. We're, we're not going to go see this boy. We don't have a ride. Um, but we really felt strongly that we needed to go see him. So what do we do? We get on our knees, right? Uh, we wait for that one good idea to come to our brain. Um, we sat there, we prayed, and guess what we felt inspired to do, Josh? I'm sure, we I'm sure. felt like we needed to call Deb back, the aunt back, and say, hey, we we need you to take us. And since I was the one doing the training, I made her do the phone call. <laughs> I was like, I'm not calling her. I'm doing that. You do it. <laughs> That's like one of the perks to being a trainer, right? You're like, Oh, you you need the experience to do this. So she calls them because she's amazing. Super stellar girl. Um, Then we get a phone call. Oh, and she's like, okay, fine. I'll take you. But I was at my parents' grave earlier today. And in the South, they're always like cleaning up graveyards, um, you know, making sure their parents' graveyards are nice. And a big swarm of bees came and chased her off. So she's like, Hey, you know, it's on the way there. You are cool with me stopping and finishing decorating their grave. Then I'll take you. And we're like, yeah, cool. Like, let's do it. And then we get a phone call back from our mission president. And he says, hey, um, I've just been praying about it. And I don't feel like you and you two need to separate. I feel like you guys need to stay together. So I'm going to just send one of the sister missionaries down and you're going to have a, a three, a set of three. So we're like, sweet, everything's falling into place. We get to go teach this kid. Like, we don't have to leave. We don't have to pack up. Like, you know, that's what it is on the mission. You're excited when, like, line up, right? You feel good about it. Um, that, um, That we needed to go see this kid. So she picks us up. And um, we we go, daughter who is 14, um, with her. And so it was me, my companion, Deb and Ollie. And we're driving up Lookout Mountain. And um, just so you can understand the way the country roads are, you can't always see like where things are. So 
I'm going to use my hands to kind of describe it, but you, um, you kind of would go around a corner and then the cemetery was down like this. Oh, can you see? So it was like down like this. And then the cemetery was like up right here. Right. And so we pull in and we get, we get in there and we see a red mom and Deb's family's grapes. And mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, we should leave. People come here and do drugs all the time. Like we need to leave. There's people, there's a person here. And we, we kind of look and we're like, uh, he doesn't look okay. He's on all fours. Like it looked like there was puke all over the place. By the way, if you have, maybe if you're like sensitive to stuff, like maybe don't listen to this part, but, um, this is kind of a little graphic, but anyway, so we, we realized that this guy's on all fours and he doesn't look okay. Right. So she hollers out the window, just like a Southerner. And, um, he's like, help me. So we get out of the car and we start walking up and we see this. So it's a red van and inside, you know, like the door, like you're getting like the door opens and there's like a little ledge there where you can step up. Um, there's a gun there. And, um, and we realized that what we thought was throw up or vomit was actually blood. As we got closer, we realized that he was surrounded in a huge pile of blood. It was probably, it was, it was like probably, I don't know, this much blood, right? Tons of blood. So immediately, um, we didn't have cell phones at the time. So immediately Deb has to go get help because there's no, and there's no like service on top of this mountain. So she goes to get help. We send Ollie, the 14 year old up to the top to flag down um, first responders when they get there. So it's me, my brand new companion, a gun and a dude that just shot himself. And I'm like, okay, what do we do in this situation? I knew we needed to get him away from this. So we, we kind of just say like, we need you to like kind of move over here. And, um, um, and at this point he's, well, he'd shot himself in the stomach. And so if you know anything about that kind of injury, it's just slow and painful. Right. And, um, Ooh, and so we get him away from the gun. I, yeah, it was really, it was really traumatic. Um, we get him away from the gun. I look in his car and if you know, like Southern sports, there was a Tennessee football, like, Oh, let's talk about Tennessee football. Right. Cause guys like to talk about football. So I grabbed the jacket. My companion was applying pressure. Um, and I'm trying to talk to him about football and he's just like, no, you know, this is not, not working. And then I was, um, I looked at his phone and it said daddy's phone. And, um, and I was like, so how many kids do you have? And as soon as I said that, um, his eyes like lit up, like he wanted to fight for his life again. And, um, it was, I'll never forget. Um. Because if you know anything about people that commit suicide, a lot of times or hurt inflict, you know, pain on himself, a lot of times they don't want to do that. But in this, this look on his face of pure, like helping, like desperation, like, what did I do? Like fix me, you know, it was, it was just, I'll, I'll never forget the look on his face. Um, and in that, in that car, by the way, with the door open, um, I didn't mention this before, but there was just lines and lines of uh, medical bills, mm-hmm. bills, right? And anyway, um, 
there was a wild dog that kept coming and trying to lick him. Mm. And again, like you can't see, you would have, no one would have seen him forever. Right. Like, so Ollie's up at the top, Deb's gone. It's my companion and I, and Josh, I'm going to share this with you. This is like the most spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. Um, and, and it, and as hard as it was, it was the most amazing, peaceful moment um, because I knew that um, my companion and I talked about it later and we kind of both felt like Heavenly Father just was like cupping his hands around us in that moment where it was the three of us. And my companion and I both talked about it later and we both felt like we saw physical light, like a glow around us. And um like I said before, I don't know if you heard the part. It felt like you would something you would see in a movie almost. Like if it if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I probably wouldn't believe it. But I'm kind of a skeptic, and so. But it was the most peaceful moment for being in such a intensity, um, where I knew that we weren't alone. I knew that what I was doing was. Um, like we were meant to be there, you know, we were meant to be there. We weren't alone. And as scary as it was, um, we knew God was there with us. Like I said, we saw light. And the interesting part about that was um, when the man, um, when he, when he actually died, I'd never seen someone die before. And so I, I wasn't sure that he had died, you know, like you imagine like people close their eyes. Now as an adult, I know better, but um he ended up dying and before the, the medics came. But what was nuts, Josh, was um, that light, as soon as he died, went dark. It was like someone just like flipped a switch, like the light switch on the lights was dark. And um, I'll never deny that, man. That was, that was the most powerful experience to this day. Um, we ended up having to wait. There's more to the story. Um, we ended up and talked to the cops, right? And we still went and talked to the, we taught the teenage boy that night because we didn't have cell phones. So we didn't want to like flake on him. We felt like we should go teach him. Looking back, I realized now that what we had to do was be there for this man who didn't need to, didn't want to die alone, you know, and to protect him from different elements. But um, there's more. So I, um, my companion went and decided when she was talking to the law enforcement and I was like, I got this. Like, you know, <laughs> I can go teach. We went and taught. Uh, just, I'm kind of crazy like that. And we got home and I felt like we needed to call our mission president and my mission president wasn't answering his phone. And so it like did something to me in that moment where I went into shock. Um, and I called, I think it was my zone leaders. I don't remember if it was like the assistants or zone leaders trying to get, um, mission president cell phone number. And then when I called them, I just lost it, um, telling them the story of what we had just experienced. And so my mission president and his wife drove all the way from Knoxville area down to Chattanooga that night and picked up and let us stay in their home and made sure that we were okay. And um, I mean, straight up mom and dad moment, you know, yeah. like I, I'll never forget those hugs that I got that night because I needed it pretty traumatic what we had seen. And I don't do blood just so you know, like 
blood is not a thing for me. And so like that was really, really hard to watch. But interesting enough, um, we went to the mission president's home. He gave me a blessing. And in the blessing, it talked about how Robert loved this man and how he didn't want him to die alone. And that he sent us there to, to make sure that he um, was okay. And that he sent Christ and his angels with, with us. And I, I will, I will never deny that. That has been one of the strongest testimony builders for me that Heavenly Father is aware of us. He loves us. He, he loves us when we're doing things we shouldn't do. He loves us um, when we feel alone. He will send people to help us. And it gets crazier. The story's not done. Um, you know, it was a little awkward for us after that. We didn't see Deb or Ollie that much um, just because, you know, we just like had trauma together, right? And, uh, <laughs> oh, and we had to get a new companion the next day and, uh, she's great. She was my MTC companion and I loved her, but she was like, I thought you'd be fun. I'm like, bro, I just watched someone die last night. Like, give me some time. Um, <laughs> but crazy thing. So we go to house for, I think it was around, so this, this all happened beginning of October when we watched him die. Um, in December, she had us over for dinner and she's like, Hey, I just, I just really thought I'd show you this. And it was a newspaper article. Um, of how, um, you know, two Mormon missionaries were there with this man as he died and, um, how he talked about his kids as he was dying. Um, and then it showed his obituary. Well, I'm reading the obituary and crazy. I'm reading it and it says this man's house had burned down. Okay. So he had just fought off cancer. That's what those bills were. His house burned down that weekend. The address of where he lived. And it said his kids' names. Well, that was my previous area. And I knew his family. Like I, his son would come over. So we taught the people that lived next door to them. And I was on that street all the time because we had like a few investigators on that hustle. And so their little, his little kids would come over and hang out. And like, we would teach them about God. Um, and like, I knew his family. Okay. I'd never met him, but I, I knew his neighbors. I knew his kids. And so I was able to call his, his kids. I got special permission and say, Hey, I just want you to know, like your dad was fighting for you. Like he, you could tell he didn't want to do it. But when we talked about you, he fought. And I mean, was it my favorite thing to be put in that situation? I am so grateful that the Lord trusted me. And knew that I would, um, I could be part of that for him, you know, because he loved this man so much. Um, I just, I, all the little details, the bees, you know, us feeling like we needed to call the lady back. Uh, just, I feel like Heavenly Father has his hands in all of it. And we're never alone, even though we feel like we are. And just to know how much he loved this man, it makes me just feel like he, he loved me too. Um, and so I think that that experience as traumatic and I still have issues a little bit sometimes, like sometimes I'll have a little bit of, you know, if I'm watching, I can't, I can't really do like war movies, you know, things like mm -hmm. that kind of trigger me sometimes, but Let me um, ask you, that's something that yeah. happened because of that. Or was that something that you'd had even bef before that? Like, did you, I mean, I, like maybe it was your head blasting with blood the time I saw it get smashed with the trash can. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never liked blood, but I, I definitely think that 
I don't know if it was blood, his face, the desperation on his face, the look that, hey, I don't really want to do this, but I did it, you know, like just to know that uh, I just, I'll never, I'll never be able to quite put it in the hands, but um, as hard as it was, like I said, I have a lot of gratitude for being able to see that and to know it, it just really made a solid testimony for me to know that God's aware of us and mm-hmm. us, you know, so that was, that was, that was probably my biggest thing. And I was lucky to have good leaders that helped me through it. You know, I had some, I had some zone leaders and assistants and, um, and some president that I think pulled me through that one. That one was, it was right before I came home. Um, that happened in October and I came home into January. So it was tough. Well, I got to tell you, as uh, far as spiritual experiences go on a mission, I'd say that's got to be at least like top 1% of missions, <laughs> mission stories I've yeah. heard. So yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So now, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting about traumatic events is I have found like when I go through something that's traumatic or I go through something that's a trial or difficulty, it gives me a lot more empathy for others. Do you feel like this experience did that for you in some ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, I think, I, I, I get people in that, in that light, you know, like, cause I obviously don't agree with the fact that the man shot himself. Right. Like I don't, but I don't have to, right. Like I don't have to judge him in that moment that he did something I don't agree with, but to know that my father still loves him. It helps me to see like when I do stupid things or when other people do stupid things. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like empathy comes pretty easy for me. I think, um, I think it's easier when you know someone's true story, the blessing of being a hairdresser. Um, It's true. Like they do. People tell me everything. And maybe not everybody tells me everything, but there's a good chance your hairdresser knows if you've done something messed up to, (laughs) to them, like your hairdresser knows, like Uh, don't kid yourself. Right. We know stuff. So, so uh, that's, that is a good segue into what I wanted to talk to you about as well. So you, I mean, as long as I've known you and as soon as I came back from my mission, you, you were already doing hair. What, what, where I didn't, I had no idea that that was something you were interested in when we were, you know, in high school, what got you interested in doing hair? Okay. I'll tell you the the whole story. Okay. So, um, you know, I kind of talked about how, um, I knew that I had it to earn things when at a young age. Right. So I knew I I needed to pay for college and, um, I wanted to be a physical therapist. I wanted to help people. That was something that I just thought would be really cool. Not a lot of blood. Right. I'm like, I could do that. Um, but I knew that I needed to be able to pay for college and I didn't have a job that I felt I could do that. And so I, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at doing hair. Um, I had people pay me to do their hair for weddings and like for proms. And I, you know, me, Josh, I always had my hair like in an updo. That was like early 2000s. That was cool. Right. Um, do you remember? I don't know if you paid attention to my hair, but I, I was I, decent I mean, at styling I, hair. I worked in the hair salon too. I would, I pay attention to these things. <laughs> yeah. So, right. um, so I, I like, you know, I, I knew that I was good at doing hair. I think 
having a family with four girls with naturally curly hair, like we had to learn how to do our hair. Um, back in the day before we had like flat iron. So I would literally like iron my hair with an iron, like put a towel on the top of it, on top of it. Cause that's how old school we were back in the day. Um, things got a little, a little easier, um, later on, but anyway, so I wanted to be a physical therapist. I knew I needed to be able to pay for it. And so, um, I decided to look into beauty schools and there was one right close to my house. house. And so I worked two jobs. I worked till like two in the morning and went to beauty school. Um, and that took about 10 months. So I did that like in 2001. So I graduated in 2000 and went to 2001, was graduated. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was working two jobs. I was working, um, at a warehouse um, and like not by hand. I wish I was that cool, but like embroidery machines. And then like, you know, that's where Dave worked. Remember Dave and Paul and I all worked at that like warehouse yeah. doing screen printing. I did the embroidery. And then, and I would go and work at Abercrombie. Just kidding. I, I'm so embarrassed that I used to work there, but whatever. It's, it was a job that I could work late at night. So I worked those times. And then um, paid for school and got it done in 10 months. I, I tried to do it as quick as I could because, again, each month costs more money. And ironically, Josh, do you want to know how much I paid for school? How much did you it pay? Was, it was only $250 a month. Are you serious? Okay. And I did it in 10 months. So, uh -huh. yeah, not a lot of money, right? Now, beauty school, it's probably closer to $20,000. So I got in at a good thing. But for me, you know, I didn't have a ton of money, so that was still a lot of money because um, right. you're paying to work, right? And you're not really getting any, like most of your hours are doing school. So school. my plan was always to still um, go off to college. And um, I got a job at Brockway, which I know that you know, because you work there too. I did. Work and there. You yeah. And, you and Brandy were the ones who got me that job. You know, I took that yeah. interview as a joke. I oh, yeah. I... I thought, but then you got all the ladies probably a little more attention than <laughs> I, yeah. I, I know you, bro. I know it was. That, was, that was funny. Yeah, it was, it was really funny. It, I didn't have a great experience over at the atrium, but when I moved over with, um, with Athena over to the one at birdcage, I have never had more fun at a job than I had with those girls over there. And then moving over to, um, to a uh, beauty essentials. Beauty Essentials was the greatest job I ever had. It was just me and Athena and uh, the the nail tech loan, and we just had a blast. We were just having so much fun. Ugh. Yeah, it can be fun. It can be yeah. a great job. What I what uh, I found so interesting about that as a guy, because uh, I can't remember the name of the lady who hired me. It wasn't Derek. It was it was one of the ladies. Nina, is that her name? Who was Nina? it? I think her name was Nina, right? It might have been. I can't remember yeah, her name. Or something like that. There was a blonde one, and then there was a dark-haired one. It was the blonde yeah, the dark-haired one. Oh, yours was the blonde-haired one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but she told me because I asked her, I was like, "Why, why did this, um, like, why did you hire me? Like, I don't understand." You know, I and she she said she apparently she said she goes no like straight guys the women will love you right and oh yeah. So, so I was like, okay, uh, I guess. And she was, 
she was dead on like I, the older ladies they absolutely loved me i don't know how many times like athena or one of the other therapists would come over or uh, the stylist would come over Her- therapist right yeah <laughs> yeah therapist. they come over to me and they'd be like just whatever you do just tell her it looks great and i would be like oh wow you look amazing and then they would immediately think it was it was the greatest haircut they ever got which is great. I love well, it. it. There's something to be said. Women like to be told they're beautiful, especially the hospital. I mean, I at at Brockway, I worked by a straight like the guy that I worked next to, he was straight. And it was almost like annoying how much women would like, oh, and he was handsome, right? And so like I was like, I will come on. He he was he was good at hair too, but Brockway was one of the few salons back then. There weren't um there weren't a lot of options. Uh, I think that hair color has really taken the industry and making it made it more um, more popular because back in the day, 22 years ago, when I went to school, started working, um, it was really just perms and haircuts and, and a little bit of color, but nothing like it is today. And so I think that um, I got in at a time when um, color was becoming more popular. When I was in beauty school, I was actually you know, I had this idea that I was going to just do weddings and everything. And I was afraid of doing hair color because it's scary. I mean, you're, you could chemically burn someone's hair. There's, it's so many ways it could go wrong. And, um, my sister saw that I was good at it and they would give me more and more colors. And so it was hard at first, but then it became a blessing because I had built a pretty solid, um, clientele leaving beauty school with my house and then took that into Brockway. So they loved me because it was commission based, right? And so I was making them a lot of money right off the bat. And um, one of the cool things for me was they offered this program. If you had went out for a long period of time, they would send you to New York City so that you could go to the Redken Exchange and learn um, about color and depth, right? It was like it was a big deal. And there were girls that had worked there for like seven years, eight years, ten years, and they were five miles of lunchtime. Where uh, you know, I had only worked there for like a year and I had no seniority really. I was like brand new. Um, the girl that had been there the longest or one of the longest, she was pregnant and couldn't go. And so instead of Derek, like, instead of him being like, okay, the next person that's been here, you know, seniority wise gets to go. He was like, no, we're going to look at the books and whoever is making me the most money gets to go. And so, um, because I had brought over a solid clientele, I got to go on this trip to New York City and final client exchange, which really cemented my education and my understanding for color. And and that's where I became like a color, red king color specialist. And um, well, I'd taken the red king color specialist program before that, but that's where I really um, got my confidence in in hairdressing and color. And want to stay being a hairdresser. Um, doing hair in New York City is next level. I mean, we're literally on Fifth Avenue, looking out the window, seeing taxis, working on models, um, listening to Moby of all. Like, I just remember that for some reason, the Moby at Redkin. Um, but it was just, it lit a fire in me that I was like, I actually think this is what I want to do. You know, it, it gave me the opportunity to see it's not just haircuts. It's like creativity it's excitement, it's travel, awesome. other things that I can be doing. And so from that point on, um, I remember thinking, all right, this is it. This is it. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to stick with her. And that was, that was a hard one. Cause I was, 
you know, I wanted to go to school and I did take some classes at like Sierra College a little bit, but um, ironically, I did it in like psychology and sociology and stuff like that, which has been really helpful. But anyway, Redken, having that experience studying there was amazing for me. It was it was a great opportunity and I'll forever be grateful for Rockway for sending me. So, yeah. So one of the things that's interesting, I, I found interesting as an observer was how much like w- when I was at, you know, the it was easy when I was at Beauty Essentials because there was one stylist. But when we had like mm-hmm. a bunch like at the atrium, there was always drama. Did you experience that? Like, yeah, there's that, always trauma. Oh, yeah. There's just always something. Someone's mad at someone. Someone's dating someone's ex-boyfriend. Someone's upset because someone said something about this or someone poached a client. Um, you know, do you uh, did you ever get involved in anything like that? Or were you always just kind of the observer? You strike me as someone who would always kind of be the observer that people would come to, like almost like a man of this life. There's a reason as growing up, I had friends that were boys instead of girls. I mean, I had friends that were girls too, but I don't like, I'm not a competitive woman. I am, well, I'm very competitive with myself, but I don't need to compete with anybody else. Like I applaud women. Like I was saying earlier, Ali, Ali and I, like we're not coworkers, but we, you know, we both have our own studios and I will hundred percent support Ali and show up for her and, and like, cheer for her right i will push myself to be better and 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 that's what i can control but when it comes to other people i i just it's like a pet peeve of mine i hate drama i really do um but i got pulled into it especially because i got i got sent to new york when there were all these girls that hadn't you know they'd been working there longer and i had just i'd only been in a year josh i was there i think i started as a stylist in like November and I went in July, 2002. So, um, so yeah, they didn't like me so much after that. That was, that was a little rough, but you know, what are you going to do? I'm just going to go and show up and something. And well, you know, the thing that's interesting about that though, like obviously this is not comparable, but you get the same thing sometimes like when I was doing wrestling, right? Because you get, you know, someone gets a look, Someone gets to look at the WWE. Someone gets to do extra work. Someone gets to go, you know, go try out for TV or something, or someone gets a spot somewhere. And these guys who've been there, you know, five, six years are like, well, how come I didn't get that spot? And you know what? It's all about timing. And it's all about, like you said, like you, you bring in money, you draw, you know, you, that's what it all comes to. And you have to look out for yourself. You're kind of an independent contractor in that way. You know, you, it's not like it's not like Brockway necessarily. I mean, you had walk-ins every now and again, but you you were kind of your own. You, you were your own little business within their business, drawing your own clients. So that's not your fault. <laughs> Be mad at Gary. Uh, yeah, uh, I, did. I I brought <laughs> I brought a lot of my clients to the. So I I wasn't. I don't know. They yeah. tried to they tried to mess with me a little bit, but I don't know. Whatever. Whatever is Bye, right. <laughs> so I and I remember back those days because you, you all you all colored my hair and waxed my eyebrows and all that that junk back then. Oh yeah, that was a lot of that was a lot of fun. I got I got bleached tips for you guys. 
for a time. Yeah. Uh, so um, now, I find really interesting is that people tell their hairstylists everything, and why is that? Well, okay. There's probably a lot of reasons why. I mean, so I've been doing hair for 22 years. Um, I would say the majority of my clients, I've been doing their hair for longer than 10 years at least. Wow. Um, yeah, most of my clients, I like I'm to the point in my career where I'm working six days a week and I'm not taking new clients. Like I just, I don't have room. Like I, I'm already working six days a week, like their space. So my clients are pretty loyal to me and I try to be loyal to them. Um, but, you know, there's something to be said about like getting your hair washed and like massage and you just feel like comfortable and relaxed. And then to have a place like I do, which it, there's definitely a difference between my like solo because I have my own studio, right? It's just me in my salon compared to like when I work um, at different salons when there's multiple chairs, you're really going to get a lot more of an understanding about somebody's life when you're the only one listening. I mean, I, I tend to um, have two smiles all the time. And so um, there will be somebody else listening, but a lot of times they're under the dryer, they can't hear anything. So it's mm -hmm. fine. But um, yeah, I think that it's, I'm gonna be honest with you. I feel like it's a sacred place. And, and you might not say that, but people being willing and vulnerable with you um, and, and feeling comfortable with you knowing that they can share their their concerns and their you know their vulnerabilities um i try and honor that uh, and i hope that my clients know that they're absolutely loved and adored and i only want what's best for them and so i think that they know that and so it's not really about gossip in my side it's about growth um and i think people feel like they can talk things through with me and I will help them because I really am not going to judge them. Like, I can't even tell you how many, like, you could tell me like any subject, right? Like, you know how many affairs I've heard about? Yeah. Like I have clients that have affairs all the time, right? Like, do I, do I judge them for that? No, I don't because I'll actually listen to their story and understand what they're going through. You might have an understanding of why they made that choice. doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it, but it's, mm -hmm. It, I don't know. It, I feel like it's a gift that my father has given me to be able to listen with uh, desire to have an understanding instead of trying to put my perspective on them. Right. Like, so when I'm listening to someone speak to me, I'm like, I wonder why they chose that. And then I'm like, okay, well, they had a rough childhood and, or they were in this situation. So that's why they chose that. Right. Um, and so I think that when you can listen to somebody out of curiosity, um, instead of judgment, it's a lot easier to be empathetic and understand them. But yeah, so I think my concept is a place. And um, yeah, I mean, I've heard murder stories, lots of abuse. Um, yeah, it's. Oh. oh, yeah. I've got at least, I've got three murder stories. Um, um, okay, uh, give me, three. can you, or you really, were you, that, that's it. Okay, so give me, give me, what to give me like your your most insane they didn't story. they didn't murder it was just like you want a murder story okay yeah. um there's some of them i'm not gonna give you because i can't sleep at night 
like mm-hmm. speaking my mind. So, um, and there and there are times, Josh, when I like, especially when it's like child abuse. Like oh. there was one I heard probably like two weeks ago about um, ugh, a kid that was like assaulted by his football team, like that kind of stuff. I have to like go and take a, like an forty-five. I just tell my kids, I'm like. I just need to process this for a minute. Like I need like an hour, 45 minutes. Like, let me process this because Hold on, this one's kid, hard. The child abuse. The kid was a member of a football mm-hmm. team. They assaulted him. Yeah. So, oh man. And I can only, I don't really want to go into that, but yeah, I'm just saying like, there's, there's things that like you hear and you're just like, wow. And and to not and to these people are like dealing with this where other people have no clue. Like, mm. I'm so proud of my clients. I'm so proud of them, like being able to um, do the right thing and like step up and like get better. I don't know. There's, it's, it's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing to like cheer for my friends or cheer for my clients when they go through like super hard things and then they, they overcome it. It's, it's incredible to watch, but um, we were talking murder stories that because child abuse is not my favorite thing. But no, um, y- yeah, you want to hear you want to hear a murder story? This isn't this one. I don't know. Like kids are listening. <laughs> they, yes, um, my kids are perfectly comfortable. So I don't know about yours, but. <laughs> Okay, this is a, this is like happened in like the seventies. This was a long time ago, and um, this was a close friend of my client. So she told me the story about when um, she got a phone call from her friend, and her friend's like, "I need you to come pick me up right now." And back then, they didn't have cell phones, and so she hurries and goes over to the house. And this was um, it was like her best friend, and um, I think the mom was a single mom, and she was amazing. Like everybody loved this mom, and she. Kind of like a like your mom, right? Like everyone's welcome at the house. Like just everybody loved her, right? So um, her friend gets a phone call just to go pick her up, and she's like outside the house and like really upset. And she said what happened was she was working, and she had got her sister to go home because mom was sick. So she goes home. She goes into the her mom's room, and she's like looks in her bed and she pulls you know off the covers and it wasn't her mom it was like pillows shaped like her mom and so she like she's like oh my gosh and then she like turned around and her sister starts like attacking her with a knife and they were both i believe black karate so they had a pretty crazy fight um but yeah the mom didn't make it she had um she had done the same thing to her mom. She had attacked her mom first and then set it up so that she was going to get herself on call. I won't go into too much, but yeah, just all in a day's work, man. There's, there's just, you just have no idea like this, the kind of thing that we, we hear. Yeah. yeah I gotta, secondhand I, trauma. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? Like I, I have to ask you this because I'm not, obviously I'm not a hairstylist, but even as an attorney, I hear a lot of, hear a lot of crazy stories. And then on top of that, also, I, for whatever reason, tend to also, for a lot of people, tend to be the kind of the lightning rod for their issues, you know, whether it be their marriages or whether it be in their faith or all these things. And, and then often, you know, they'll, they'll confide in me on things that they've done or 
things that have ex- they've experienced. And uh, sometimes I look at those things and it's, it's hard. It's hard to be the person that takes all that so on. Hard. Especially when you've got mm-hmm. your own stuff going on, you know, everybody's got their own stuff too. Mm-hmm. How do you, uh, how do you cope with that without getting kind of jaded? Um, well, I, I do have to say, like, when I started doing hair, I would consider myself pretty naive. And so I think I am a little jaded. I, I don't, I don't think I could do what I do without being jaded, you know, but just like I said, trying to have an understanding for where people are coming from and realizing, right. Stay in my lane. Right. I just focus on the love part. Let, you know, have my father and Jesus worry about judging. Um, that's what gets I naturally am very empathetic. And so when people come in, a lot of times, like if they're stressed or they're upset, I feel it. Like I tangibly like will feel what they're feeling. And it can be a blessing and a curse because sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, like, are you okay? And then, you know, I don't want to over, I don't want to pride. I want people to know that they're cared about and loved. And um, I think, I I think it is a really sacred place. Like you said, like when friends do confide in you um, that you get to know about it and help them. But I sometimes, I, sometimes I don't do okay with it. Sometimes, like I said, I need to go and, um, and take a minute. And honestly, Josh, I exercise every day. Um, that's been something that's helped me a lot mentally, um, lifting weights and walking and just doing different things helps me, um, mentally with the, the things that I'll, cause it's like physical, but like, I think my, my exercise is more of a mental game for me to overcome like 100%. hearing the things that I hear. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, yeah, absolutely. I go to the gym six days a week and the, that is my, you know, I'm going from the time you, I'm sure you're the same way, you know, you're, you're going from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed and it's nice to yeah. have that hour, hour and a half, whatever, where you're, mm-hmm. you got your headphones in, you're lifting weights, you're getting all the aggression out, all the frustration and just it's just you against yourself. That's a that's a mm-hmm. I, I don't think people understand. And I didn't really understand until I kind of, you know, really got into the gym, the connection between your mental, your physical health and your mental health. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. huge. And being the person, you know, that's that's. The yeah, thing it's, that's go ahead. No, I just think it's so important. Um, walking, you know, like on Sundays, I'll go on a walk in the morning and. Um, I just know I, I, I work out from like six to seven in the morning. And so that's when I have time. That's the only time I have time and I I love to sleep. So for me to do it, I found that the days that I, if I don't get a workout in or any kind of movement in like that, then, um, I feel a little bit more anxious to be honest. And I don't feel like I can uh, uh, do as well with my job. And I, I have a job too. Like I, my stand goal nuts you should see my watch sometimes um i like just working and standing and doing things you know like i'm always going i like to go so but yeah it definitely physical and spiritual things have helped me with my mental yeah and that's and that's the thing right i'm the same way i get up you know i'm usually at the gym at five five thirty and uh for the same reason it's the only time if i don't do it then i'm never going to get it done and uh and if i don't get it done my whole day is off you know it's just just the way it's not the same 
No, and it yeah. becomes it's interesting. My son Austin right now because he's he's going to try out for the basketball team this year, and um, and he's been doing it. He's been getting up in the morning, running before seminary, like trying to get ready. I'm really proud of him, and uh, and he's mm-hmm. starting to see the same thing. You know, is that you know it, you're you're more awake, you're more mental, you're more mentally awake, you're more clear, you know, and you're ready to take on the day. Um, but uh, you know, another thing that I see, I think that one of the the helpful things that I have seen from going through my own stuff, but then also hearing other people's things is then when you hear somebody who, well, you've seen, heard so many stories and someone comes to you because you get this with the church, right? They like go, oh, I just, you know, everybody else seems so perfect. You're like, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're all they're all train wrecks. Trust me. You know, they get, everybody's yeah. got something going on. And so, um, yeah, and it's, it's kind of sad that we tend to compare ourselves, you know, because, um, you know, I can't compare somebody's strengths to my weakness. Like that's just really not, that's just really, and I, I, I just have to go on a soapbox for a second, but that's one thing that culturally we need to do better and like not having that great, like, um, shame, the shame and like, um, what is, I just lost the chain of thought. So just like that we aren't good enough. I think gets in the way of us progressing. Like we need to just like go easy on ourselves and not compare, like chill out, like love yourself, you know, like you got this shame. That's the word. Yeah. The shame. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, I wish guilt, guilt and shame. That's the words. Yeah. I, I wish, like, I feel like everybody should do like everyone should have a stint of like, I, I don't know how you would do it, but everyone should get an opportunity at some point to have kind of like the, I don't know how to describe it. Like church sometimes almost reminds me a little bit. Like if you just go to church on Sundays, it's like, you're just seeing the Facebook profile of all of those people. You know what I mean? Like you're seeing the pictures of the, yeah. you know, not, you're not, I wish that there was a way to peel it back. I just had a conversation with someone at my ward where I said, I wish that everybody could just see that everyone in that room, even when they're saying like the right things, they're all going through something that if you saw it, you wouldn't feel mm-hmm. so bad about yourself. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if I'm, if mm-hmm. I, I think everybody in my ward is great, like they are great examples to me, but I know that they're all got something going on, you know, and, and they're all struggling with something. And I wish more people knew that because then, you know, it's hard. Like I, I know this personally, when you're, when you don't look like everyone else looks and like, I mean, yeah. as far as, you know, your family doesn't look the same. You know, or you're going the through, model. Yeah. You're not, you're not the cookie cutter. It's really hard to sit in those pews. But if you realize that even the cookie cutter, they really also don't feel that way. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think we, we have more people that kind of stay, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. So I think you're doing, you're doing a really good job with your podcast though. I have to giving people opportunity to express themselves and be vulnerable and let people know that they're not alone. I think that's huge. So I feel like, you know, I try and be as real as I can with people. And I know you do the same. I think we just all need to be, be real and create a lot more unity. And that's what we need. Right. It's like children of God. We need more unity. Yeah. Um, Well, I have I have a random story. Okay. Can I tell you another or do we at a time? No, no, no. You got all the time here. Podcast. We can go as long as we want. <laughs> go ahead. 
Okay. I just like, I just have this like experience that I want to share. Okay. So it's kind of cheesy, but we were just talking about like how other people feel. And, um, like I said, I feel God like everywhere. Right. And so I had this experience at the Taylor Swift concert. Gosh, for real. I was like, okay. had this like come to Jesus moment. Right. So I thought you might appreciate it. If you have any Swifties listening. I do. I do. But um, it's funny too, because I was sitting actually um, a couple weeks ago with fast and testimony meeting and I'm sitting in the back and the thought comes to me, go share this is in testimony. I'm not going to share this. I don't do not want to talk about Taylor Swift in my testimony. And it's like, nope, go share it. And I'm like, bro, come on. And so I go, people were like, people actually got it. So I feel like this is something you might like. So I'm going to share the okay. story. Is that okay? Give it to me. Let's hear it. Do you like Taylor Swift, by the way? Do you like her at all? Like, any, I, any, like I love Taylor Swift. Can you shit her? I, really? not, not only do I appreciate her music, I appreciate her as a person because she's so, like, she doesn't care about what anybody thinks. She's just going to do whatever she wants, and it's working for her. Like, the, the label's not going to give her her songs. She's just going to re-record them. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, I, I love that about she's her. A, she's a queen. That's how I like yeah. to describe. She's amazing. She's awesome. Okay, well, I have I have three girls, right? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, I'm going to try and get Taylor Swift tickets. Um, Tessa and I are hardcore Taylor Swift fans. Like, hardcore. Like, probably every teenage girl. Rachel likes, you know, she's more of a rock. She likes the Beatles. Like, she's more old school. But she came around after going to the Taylor Swift concert. Anyway, we get to Taylor Swift, which was like winning the freaking lottery, right? Like, that was such a big deal i had clients thank you clients for helping me get these tickets one um one client um told me about an email that made it so i could get the tickets and then sold me two tickets so i had two tickets for one night and two tickets for another night so we bought these tickets in december the show we went to was in july okay Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm preparing myself for right like this is a big ordeal you got to have an outfit you got to miss friendship bracelets and pass them out. Um, and you got to know what her words are. I'm not very good. Like, I don't, I'm terrible at memorizing things, but I have a lot of time memorizing Taylor Swift songs and like working on her lyrics and like trying to not look like a fool. Um, we, we had like outfits made. We had like shirts that said, um, mine said big rep and my daughter who was 10 said rep. So we were doing like mommy and me, you know, thinking we were cool. So we get to this concert, we spend a lot of time and money and just effort in general getting there, right? We get there and everyone is so nice. You would not believe Taylor Swift did such a job with her fans. Like she is just amazing. And she's created this fanhood, fandom, fanhood. I don't know what, it, what word you would use for that, but um, she's created this unity amongst her fans and um, it's very tangible. And it was really cool when is literally everyone's outfit had a story like about Taylor Swift, right? So we get there, and my daughter, I'm with Brindley, who's 10, and she is like so excited. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to her that she's going to get to see Taylor Swift because she's been a fan since she got banged when she was like three. And she said, I look just like Taylor Swish. Like, she didn't even know I was her name. She like loves it, right? So I'm setting you up for it. It was a big night. So we get there and 
Tumblr had this like clock, like countdown thing. Um, it's like, you know, you know, three, two, one, and then she's going to come out, right? And everyone is just like freaking out. The anticipation that like they're going to slip was nuts, right? And I just had this moment where I swear it was, this is such a Debbie thing, but I just had this thought to stop. And instead of looking at um, Taylor coming out to look at the people. So I took a second and I just like looked at all their faces. And there was this moment that was so overwhelming just to see the unity on their faces and the love and the excitement. And it was, it was beautiful, right? And then the thought came to me, if we're this excited for Taylor Swift to come, like, what's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? And then the thought came to me, would I know his words? Like, would he recognize me as one of his followers? Like, it was just like this moment. And I got all, I, I like went to church at Taylor Swift. <laughs> but it was this moment where I was like, I really had to like check myself. spend as much time in, you know, God's word as I do listening to Taylor Swift. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do, but it was just this beautiful moment. And um, like, I really look forward to that day when Christ comes back. And regardless of how we worship him, that we'll all be unified and, and, and that we're, we'll be his. Um, it was just like a really special thing. So I wanted to share that with you, Josh. Well, that's a, that's a great story because that just goes to show you too. Sometimes we feel like, I mean, it, there are times where you feel the spirit where you wouldn't expect it. And then sharing stories like that, you feel silly. Like you, you said, like, I don't want to go up in testimony meeting and talk about Taylor Swift, but you know what? That's yeah. a story because there's somebody I tell people when I teach, I sometimes teach gospel doctrine and I tell people, um, mm -hmm. at the beginning of every gospel doctrine class, I say, if you get something that pops into your head, that you need to say, please share not because you need to share it, but because maybe God is telling you something that someone else needs to hear. And perhaps mm -hmm. hearing that about Taylor Swift touched somebody in the congregation that otherwise wouldn't have been touched. So I think that's awesome. And I, I think that's a, a great way mm -hmm. to put it. how many, I, I had a very similar, not a, it was definitely not a spiritual experience, but I, I took my mm -hmm. son to a concert recently, a hard rock concert. And, uh, and I and I remember we did we did two concerts and we went to Disneyland for the weekend and I just like I said, you know I'm running ragged all the time. It's hard to stop and smell smell the roses. And it was such a cool experience to sit there with my two boys and look around and just go, this is why I do what I do. You know what I mean? Is mm -hmm. just sit and say, one hundred percent. You know I this is why I work so hard. This is these are the moments that make all the minutia of every day worth it. You know what I mean? And so it's really cool that you had that experience. Let me, um, uh, I want to, I want to kind of lead you down the, the, the end of the road here and ask the questions that I ask everybody. So the first one is, is what would you say is your biggest success in life? My children. Um, yeah, just my children. They are so far my biggest success in life. I think, um, oh, I wish you knew their hearts like I do. They are some of the most genuine people, um, brave, fun. If you've ever watched a video of my kids, um, adventurous, they 
my kids are my world, you know, they, that would be my biggest success is just having those three. Like, I mean, I heard Rachel and Tessa on the phone the other day and they got off the phone with each other and they're like, I love you. And I was like, oh, do you guys do that every time? And they're like, yeah, except for like, obviously if they're mad, but you know, just knowing that they're having this bond, um, really, really hard on that. Um, I know that sounds weird, but I'm sure we all work hard with our kids, but I think being a working mom since they were babies, I knew that I wanted to make the most of the time. And so when I was working, I was working. And then when I'm home, I try and be present and I try and check with, check in on them emotionally and let them know that I'll always be there. I'm a hundred percent team Rachel, team Tessa and team Brinley, hundred percent have their back. Um, and sometimes having their backs doesn't look like, you know, sometimes it's making them do things that they don't want to do so they can grow. But, you know, they're my best friends. And I know that sounds cheesy, but yeah, they are my success. That is, that is what I'm the most proud of. Well, well, I've, I've spent a minimal amount of time around your daughter, Rachel, as she and my son have hung out various times. And I could, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't have anything bad to say about her. She was absolutely amazing and just a good kid, just a really good kid. And it, I, I like, you know, I wouldn't have expected anything different, quite frankly. I mean, you know, she, she does have Kevin as her dad, so there's that, but I, you know, he's, <laughs> um, it's a great, Austin's yeah. a great kid too. I've seen their text messages. He's a great kid. <laughs> yeah. I am, you know, I get on him, you know, I get on it pretty hard sometimes. It's that's the thing that I think is so funny about kids is that they're all so different. I was just telling Piper, I re- actually yesterday I recorded an episode with Piper that's going to come on before yours, and and I told her on the uh, on the podcast, I go, it's just so hard because I have to parent them all so differently. But I love where they're at right now, and I just look at them despite all the stuff that they've gone through, all the things that they're you know they're all becoming like really good human beings, yeah. and you just sit there and you go, God, you know, like I I told her I, I can't wait to see where they all end up. You know what I mean? Because they all have mm-hmm. their thoughts, and I I have my predictions, you know, and I'm like, I think this one's going to go here, and where, and I think one of them's going to mm-hmm. shock your, you know, and. uh and so, yeah, it's just awesome to watch our kids, you know, grow up and be, and it's just so fun also being, you know, you and I have lived in the same areas for basically our whole lives. And it's fun mm-hmm. to see my son being friends with my friend's kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just so wild. Who that, thought, right. I, it's so funny how I'm like, Austin's hanging out with Kevin and Debbie's kid and he's got a, you know, I don't know if you know, well, you know, um, uh, Janelle Edwards. So yeah, she's you know, what's that? Would oh, you I just said she's my buddy. Yeah, I know Janelle. Yeah. So Sean and Janelle's son Preston is like best buds with Austin. They're hanging out all the time. Preston's over at my house a lot. And it's just like, you know, and, and they're all just such good kids. Like they're all so much better than I was. You know what I mean? I go, I look at them and I go, mm-hmm. man, kids are just like really good. And so um it's just a testament that everybody's turned out okay. Um so uh, now the next question, what is your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Mm, I don't know. I, what is my biggest failure? I don't know if I would consider anything a failure. That's pretty dramatic. 
Um, yeah. I'm actually not a failure, Josh. So didn't know, I don't know if you know that, but um, you know, there's, I mean, there's definitely like things that I, I wish that I would do better or do different. I mean, I came back on different relationships and friendships and things that I wish I could have maybe handled differently, but well, I don't know. I, I was a word I would identify with my life. Is that bad to say? Um, no, I think not a feeling. <laughs> yeah, well, and I don't think I, the, the point of the question I think, is that yeah, not, nothing is a failure if you've learned something. So like, some of the biggest lessons I have learned in my life has been through huge failures. You like fails? I mean? Yeah. Well, or yeah. even just things that happen like in your life. Like, for example, like this is something that I, I've, I've shared is, uh, before. So I thought I was going to be a WWE wrestler and, you know, I had a good run and, you know, I still dabble in it. I'm still every once in a while getting out there and hurting myself, but like they, uh, um, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff locally. I got to do a lot of cool stuff with like impact wrestling and new Japan and all that, but I never got to wrestle at WrestleMania. I never made it to the WWE. I never got a full-time contract. I didn't travel the world. I didn't do any of that stuff. So that's a failure. I didn't, that was a goal I had. I didn't do it. I chose not to do it. And I think what I learned from that was looking back, I go, okay. Cause when I came back from my mission, my whole mindset was was changed. I had an opportunity to do it then. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. I don't like the travel. I want to be home for my kids. I really, I, what I learned was there were things that there were as much as, as passionate as I was and still am as re- in wrestling. I, my kids meant more to me. And if I had done that, I could have been successful, but I would have missed so much, you know, mm-hmm. so much. And so, so I just a- take my kids everywhere I go. <laughs> Well, right. But I mean, like, that's the thing. Like when you're on the, you know, I, I've interviewed a bunch of wrestlers down here and I've had a couple of them come on and say, I'll do it over after that something else. Cause I missed my kids luck, you know? And it's just mm-hmm. really yeah. interesting to hear that. And it's always so, that guilt, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I have it even now, like, you know, I work a lot now, uh, you know, but at the same time, like, like you said, you know, when you're present, you're present. Like it's not about the quantity, it's the mm-hmm. quality of the time that you have. And so when yeah. I'm I'm off, I'm daddy-daughter dates, father-son outings, taking them places, you know, going to Jojo Siwa with Lexi, like doing that stuff just so like they have those memories that they know I was present because they need that. And so so yeah, I mean that's what you I really do need that. Yeah. Yeah. So well, let me ask you, uh, I'll, I'll skip for the next, since you're not a failure at all and you've succeeded in everything in your life. Let's, uh, let's move on to, <laughs> let's move on to the last question. Well, I I've added another question that makes me curious. Uh, okay. what, what keeps Debbie Evers up at night? What keeps me up at night? Yeah. Oh man. Honestly, like travel, <laughs> I have like a little bit of attention to exploring and traveling. And so um, I'm always dreaming about like, how can I incorporate, how can I do hair in New York so I can take my kids in New York and, um, you know, so things like that. Um, I'm actually, my next adventure, I have a couple adventures planned, but we're going to head over to Thailand and, um, Cambodia and 
Vietnam and Seoul, Korea. Well, my kids this time, but traveling is like something that like I think some people um, spend their money on therapy, which I probably should do. But I like to spend my money on there's fight fight and flight. I think on flights. I'm like I'm out. I just want to go. And I don't care where it is. Like my next trip's New Mexico. We're going to like see hot air balloons, you know. But um, there's something in me that is like this adventurous spirit that I get fulfilled with something new. Um, and so yeah, that's what keeps me up at night. If you want to know my my searches? It's travel. Nice. Trying to figure out how to be a travel hairstylist. So. That's awesome. Well, let me give you the last question. So at some point down the road, you're going to pass away. And when you do, there'll be a funeral and they'll, uh, and someone will give you eulogy. What's the one thing you hope someone says about you in your eulogy? Something that, okay. Um, hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I hope that people knew me as a safe place and that they knew that they were genuinely loved by me um, and that they could, you know, talk to me about anything. I think that's like a, a huge thing. And I hope they know that I loved the savior, um, my testimony and my family. Um, I always have this thing where I tell my kids, like all the time, like, you know, they'll be like, do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? And I kind of don't care. I'm like, do whatever you want with my body. That's what I, maybe don't donate it to science. That's weird. No offense to all you donating your body to science things. But, you know, I always, it's like, when I go, like, if you want to talk to me, meet me at a sunset. That's like my thing. I love sunsets. I love to see a sunset. And so um, I hope that people know that like, we're just, want to talk to me or like um just have like a memory or you know with me just like i'll meet him at a sunset so that's kind of my that's what i would want my friends to know because like i'm still there and I'm out there and yeah it's fine the sunset and i'll be there so well, that's kind of awesome. cheesy but that's what i want hey you know what that's okay because those that's you're not i wouldn't say that's cheesy i'd say that's sentimental um cool. So, uh, well, thank you for taking the time to share uh, these stories with me. It's This is what's so cool is that, like, we've been friends for, I mean, it's got to have been almost 30 years at this point, you know, 25, yeah. at least 25. And these are stories I've never heard, you know, and, and that's, that's what's fun about having this podcast is hearing hearing stories of my friends that I didn't get to hear in any other medium. And so I appreciate you coming on. And I'd say, you know, uh, you've always been one of the, one of the most Christ-like people I know. And it's, it's good to hear that that's still going. Hey, can I say something about you real quick? Uh Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Can I say something? Okay. To redeem myself or give me a hard time earlier. I just like going on this podcast. um, I just wanted to mention this because for those of you guys that don't know Josh super well, I've known him since what? Yeah. Your sophomore, my freshman year. Um, Josh is, you are um, one of the kindest people that I've ever met. And I just want you to know that like my perspective of you as a friend in high school, um, you know, you were this tough guy that like, you know, wrestler and everything. And you don't always um, invite everybody to come to your house and wrestle and everything. And, secret is I don't care about wrestling, but I did care about you. And, um, I wanted to be there to support you and you and your family, especially your mom had a way of making everyone feel comfortable in your heart. 
that has inspired me because like, you, you know, you grew up humbly like I did. Right. And like, it didn't matter. Like it didn't matter if, you know, you had the newest boy or like, you know, whatever, like you would have friends over and like, you'd be eating your like recipes on crackers. And like, you made me feel like I had a, a place and a, and I thank you for that because when I went to high school, I didn't know, like, especially like at that point, I didn't know a lot of people and you were always there to encourage me. I mean, you'd call me shame and like write me the most amazing, encouraging. Uh, notes. I actually like not to be cheesy, but I still have some of them because of my, these, you were, you were my number one friend. Like we, you know, you got me through so much and um, I just want you to know that through your entire life, you know, social media and everything. I know we don't get to like text each other and everything, but I just want you to know that I've been cheering for you and I am so proud of you. Um, I've watched you grow. I've watched you like go from like, like having to prove yourself to, do you still have that fire in you? I, I can see it. Like, you know, I still got to grind. I still got to work hard, but like, man, I tell people all the time, like that know you. I'm like, I am so proud of Josh. Like he has done so much with his life and look what he's doing. Like he is amazing. So I just want you to know that like I'm, I'm rooting for you and I'm proud of you and wow. you're the best. So well, thanks for being well, awesome, Josh. Jeez. Well, <laughs> I guess I'll just have to keep being awesome for Debbie. <laughs> I, no, I, I appreciate that so much. It's, it's important because sometimes you know, you get bogged down in the day and you get, you know, something bad goes wrong. You know, you got somebody, you know, I, I don't, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on that people don't know about. And, and, uh, it's real easy to sometimes look at those things and go like, God, is, is anything I'm doing even making a difference? And so I really appreciate you saying that because, you know, it's hard. You don't know, you don't yeah. know when you're going to touch somebody or when you're not. And sometimes I go, guys, this is even worth it. And I just, things like that make me know it is. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Keep uh, it up. Thanks. You're doing amazing things. And we we're, we're cheering for you, man. I I've been cheering for you for years. Uh, so well, proud of you. Well, I, like I said, I love it. I love that we're, we're still friends. I love that our kids are friends. And, uh, you know, well, I'm already working with Kevin on the, on the, uh, on the dowry, you know, so we can get that. Work. <laughs> uh, but anyway, oh, man. Uh, yeah, well, okay guys. So if you're here, if you're listening to all this and you just heard how great I am, you should subscribe to my podcast. So do that. Yeah. <laughs> follow me wherever. And uh, we got more stuff coming up. I got all sorts of things. I got the, uh, authors of a book about all the controversy around the Wizard of Oz, trying to, I, I'm trying to schedule a sex worker on. So that'll be interesting. Um, we'll see if that plays out. Uh, and I've got, uh, I'm sure I'll have more wrestlers and more friends of mine. Come on. And so uh, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Bye.